Hi, I'm Arsha. And I'm Amy. This is Blood Tide, a mother-daughter storytelling podcast. Welcome back, BT buddies. Welcome back. Crawling through mud and dead bodies to avoid landmines, while sharpshooters' bullets whiz by and body parts tightly strapped to hide their gender. This is where our story starts and is our first glimpse into a day in the life of a female frontline fighter in the American Civil War. First, I want to share why this Marsha's Mini about women soldiers in the American Civil War still matters today. Women have been fighting for their equality and their rights since man and woman first populated our planet. While there are countless examples spanning the globe and time of this endless struggle, women's autonomy over their own bodies once again dominates our headlines. Women have been engaged in military service for more than 200 years, dating back to the American Revolution. Maybe women in the American Revolution is a story for a future Marsha's mini-episode. Reach out to us on Instagram at Blood Tie Podcast. Or send us an email at bloodtiepodcast at gmail.com. And let us know if you'd like to hear that story about the American Revolution or you have any story suggestions. While most women fulfill traditionally female roles for the time, such as nurses, laundering military garb and linens, and organizing fundraising campaigns, it is estimated there were about a thousand women disguising themselves as men to fight on the battlefields of the Civil War. Wow. I know. I found this data point from a PBS series called Mercy Street about life in and around a hospital in Alexandria, Virginia during the early years of the Civil War. A historical consultant advised on the series development and content. And just to be clear, that thousand count isn't really verifiable because it was a hidden activity. So it's estimated to be about a thousand. But why do you think women wanted to like fight in this war? You know, that was the question that I had at the onset of researching this episode and writing it. And what I came to understand is that they just wanted to do their part the same as men. And most likely that would probably be a common feeling across many of those thousand women warriors. The same sentiment was expressed by an unnamed female who recently graduated from the Army's first gender-integrated infantry basic training in 2017. There was a 2017 article in the Army Times where one of those female graduates said, I like the challenge. I want to protect the people I love. Front lines are nothing. And by the way, those women that, that went through that 2017 basic infantry training, mm-hmm. uh, they they didn't share their names because... There was, I guess, so much swirl around that idea of women training alongside men that they didn't, they didn't post their names. As I mentioned, women generally had non-combat roles in the Civil War and were becoming recognized as nurses for the Union Army. Clara Barton, who founded the Red Cross, started her life's work during the Civil War. This role of women serving as military nurses was formally established in 1901 when the U.S. Army Nurse Corps, or ANC, was created. The ANC provided many of the active-duty ranked female nurses for World War I. 
And it was during that World War I that these women were allowed to openly serve in the U.S. military while they still didn't have the right to vote. I like how they can serve in the military but not vote. Yeah. It's akin to being able to buy a gun, but you can't drink. Later, President Truman signed the Women's Armed Services Integration Act into law in 1948, which was about three years after World War II ended. And that officially allowed women to serve as full permanent members of all branches of the armed forces. But there was no guarantee of equal opportunity and there was still no combat duty. So they were allowed to be integrated into the army, but they weren't allowed to do combat they weren't allowed in combat roles, right? So there were administrative jobs. So right? what they were already doing. Weren't they already doing yeah, that? Yeah, it was just, it, <laughs> they they had been doing all of this, but it was becoming oh, like more an official, official and officially yeah. recognized. Yeah. So it took that long. And that's what I'm saying. Things that you, when you want change, it doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time and perseverance to continue on that path. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta announced female service members would be allowed to serve in direct ground combat roles in 2013 which took effect in 2015. So even though it was 2013, two years later still, and now women can serve in almost any role in the armed forces. Yeah, I think there's a couple like special branches that they're still not allowed into. There are, I think, some more highly specialized yeah. Yeah, combat roles. So in this episode, we'll learn about the extreme measures some pioneering women took to pave the way for women to fight in combat the ingenuity, resilience, and perseverance of these remarkable women who just wanted to do their part can inspire us in our everyday lives and in the battle for our reproductive rights. The continued perseverance for women to stay the course, to be recognized as active duty members of the military, and the patience exhibited by generations of women, Amy, until they could officially serve in direct combat roles. I mean, that spans almost 200 years, and those are lessons for all of us to learn from. Up until the Civil War, men were working outside the house, and women predominantly fulfilled a domestic role. But when the Civil War arrived on Americans' doorsteps, women started to engage more in the outside world. They needed to. All the men were gone. That's right. Exactly. You know, women started to participate in the war efforts, as I had mentioned, by being nurses or that volunteering organizing to get supplies and clothing to troops. They gardened, baked, canned food. Others sewed and cleaned up laundry for the troops. And then some of them raised money to purchase medical supplies and necessities. Others joined the newly created U.S. Sanitary Commission in June of 1861 to provide, quote, a preventive, hygienic, and sanitary service for the benefit of the Army, end quote. <laughs> what are they doing while giving them baths? <laughs> I don't. So, I mean, these women worked um, to prevent combat diseases and infections by improving conditions like for food preparation and serving food and help reverse bad hygiene practices or lack of hygiene practices. Hey, Timmy, you smell. You need to clean your armpits. That- <laughs> yeah, right. I think I men mean- are thinking about hygiene when their lives are on the line. That's an interesting commission. Right. So so that's why the women are there to interject that into their lives. So working white class women and free and enslaved African-American women also joined in. Now, I don't know about the enslaved ones, how, you know, I don't know if you'd call that joining in, right, or being forced to participate. Of course, they weren't up in the union. They would be participating, you know, on the other side or forced participation. 
for women in the roles I just described, they now had to do the work of their husbands, like you said, Amy, who were off fighting in the war. And, and that was a super heavy burden on women, right? They became the sole providers for their families while men were off fighting. Yeah, they had to do everything. They had to do everything, things that they had never done before. But you had this contingency of women who wanted to fight in the war. Like those first female graduates of the army that I talked about in 2017, some women wanted to do their part and be on the front lines. I don't know that I would have been of that mindset. I think I would have been terrified, right? I think I would have not had the background and then not wanted, would have not wanted to do that because I didn't have the background. Yeah. Especially too, if you have children and you were going to leave and your husband was already at war, then, you know, I don't think I would have joined. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think I would have canned food. <laughs> Props to them, though, for doing that. Yes, 100%. My research indicated that many of these female fighters were from the working class. Some were looking to escape those traditional female jobs. I mean, do you really want to can and bake goods all day long? Do laundry know. and teach men how to clean their hands, wash their hands. Wash their hands, <laughs> right? Others wanted better or more reliable pay. Um, and that was kind of a motivator. Others wanted to be alongside their family and share in the experience of war together. <laughs> that was an interesting <laughs> comment that I read. Um, and then you had these adventure seekers, yeah. even back then, right? And some who wanted to act on their sense of duty and patriotism. So there were a whole host of reasons why these women wanted to do that. And I learned some of these women were already adopting a male persona for the work world to escape that domestic work life. And actually passing as a man wasn't difficult to do, especially at that time. So like not in the army, just in like regular day, you're going yes. to the factory, they would be a man. They, they would dress were, as a man. I mean, they, they were becoming, they were, had a male persona. Well, they, they probably projected. got, you know, better treatment, better salary, anything for being a man back then. They probably thought they could do better work, you know? Right. Right. A hundred percent. So the typical man's working clothes back then was they were loose and baggy and ill-fitting. There were no untucked shirts back then. So Young men and older boys were also a key demographic of fighting soldiers, and they had no real facial hair. So to think that these beardless women dressed as men, strapping their body parts to hide their female shape, didn't seem so out of place. I found, I even found an article that touched upon the idea of some of this hiding as a man related to early examples of transgender identity. So some of them, while some were putting on the persona, I think some were becoming that male persona also. So you had a whole mixture of types of women that were doing this and for different reasons. Yeah, I don't think these ideas or the way people feel is like a new thing. I think people have felt this way since the beginning. It just wasn't accepted as accepted as it is now. It's still not accepted fully, but. It probably wasn't talked about either, right? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like. Publicly displayed. Known, or, yeah. Yeah. Right. But regardless of how they dressed, these women warriors fought and died in all the major Civil War battles, including Antietam, Fredericksburg, Gettysburg, Shiloh, and Vicksburg, to name just a few. And interestingly, women served in a wide range of military roles. Some were soldiers, some were spies, some were couriers, and there was even one that was a male nurse. So let me repeat that. She was a woman pretending to be a man who was pretend who was being a nurse when nursing was the primary Not role of women. women. Yeah. I don't, huh. I didn't understand that. 
maybe it's just how their career progressed as they were a man and that they became a nurse. I don't know. I can't explain that one. There's not enough information. I did find some interesting stats shared by that historical consultant, and I think it was based on her research of military records. So here we go by the data. 15% of women soldiers sustained battle wounds. 18% were taken prisoner of war. And 11% died while serving. So overall, the combined casualty rate for these women soldiers was about 44% a bit higher than the 30% rate of male soldiers. I was just about to ask you, what was that? So 44% of women and then 30% of male. Yep. It's not that much. Not that different, right? Yeah. Considering uh, women are considered to be able to do, you know, fight. Like exactly. Men. They weren't allowed to fight, yet the, Yet their stats were kind of yeah, similar. Yeah, they don't have like any training or anything, these women. They just left. They wanted to join the army. Not surprising. Women's 14% promotion rate was four points, four percentage points higher than men. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there was the constant threat of being discovered for their true selves. Every day was full of opportunities where they could slip up and be expelled, imprisoned, or even institutionalized. My research suggested, though, many women who were exposed typically just went home. Man, I can't believe that they were fighting for the country and they would be in prison or institutionalized just because they were helping the war effort. It seems ridiculous. At enlistment, the first obstacle or chance for detection surfaced, the physical examination. Oh my gosh, I bet they had so much anxiety. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't imagine. It must have been terrifying, right? It, just the idea of having to go through the exam. I don't know. Did they stand in their underwear to get examinations? Are they fully clothed? I, I don't know. Well, what I read was that it was mostly a, a non-issue event. It, it like it was just a cursory was thing. Like, next chick. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're fit. Next. Yep. I don't know that there was a lot of like touching and validating body Probably parts. not like today <laughs> where you go through all that boot camp and you like join and do all that where they like, you have to pass tests, physical fitness tests and stuff now to be part. That wasn't. I don't thing. think that, I yeah. mean, this was in wartime and they were just yeah, trying they to get more. People. They yeah. needed bodies. It's one thing to want to fight in a war, but another to actually fight on the front lines. Again, this seems terrifying this scenario to me and I'm sure to those women, well, for sure to me, but to those women and probably to some men also. I imagine some had zero experience with fighting and weapons and then others had some knowledge because of their lives back home. Yeah. Like if I joined, I wouldn't know how to shoot a weapon, but I could see women who like grew up on a farm and had to kill predators, you know, predators for their cattle or whatever. You know, or if you had brothers, you have experience fighting or they taught you things. But I mean, I don't know. I feel like, like you said, it would be terrifying. Yeah. But in reality, many of the soldiers fighting, and I don't mean the women who were dressed as men, were citizen soldiers. And they had no experience with military training or fighting. So it wasn't so out of place that these women soldiers might need training. Yeah, they weren't sticking out because they didn't know how to load or, you know, do what yeah. they had to do because it was common. Exactly. Underage boys were also fighting, and that helped these beardless women soldiers blend in. <laughs> and life was difficult back then for everyone. Air conditioning wasn't common in the U.S. until around the 1950s. 
So it was hot and smelly and being a fighting soldier must have been whiffy. No, it wasn't. They had the <laughs> the hygiene commission helping them not smell. No. <laughs> yeah, when there was no there were no products like deodorant back then and I think that maybe that's where the concept of personal space came from, Amy. <laughs> I don't know. Men don't have, like, men, when a whole bunch of men are together, they don't really have personal space. I don't think they mind the smell, right? It means you're a man when you smell like a man. Everyday existence in the military camps was harsh, and many soldiers slept fully clothed to be always prepared for battle. You never know when they start blowing the horn and you got to jump up and leave yeah that's one thing bobby used to say that he was like always ready that's why he never got that much sleep or he slept like in a state where he still knew what was going on because yeah if he had to like be ready to fight or do whatever right and he was in the army right and fought yes. in in some of the more recent wars and you know they didn't have a lot of clothing items back then and bathing was not common and they used the woods as a toilet so all I forgot the- they didn't have porter potties. <laughs> no, porter- no, I don't think they use porter potties now. Yeah, Bobby said they just like go and they caught co- they. I don't know exactly, but they cover it somehow or they burn it. That's right, they burn it, which oh is. My gosh. <laughs> oh, how'd you like that to be your job? Poo burner number one. <laughs> no, I know why they needed the hygiene committee. They probably, you know, they still need the hygiene committee <laughs> they now. Still, do. they're bur- they're burning poo. They still do. That kept those women busy. So conditions were rough and people were just trying to survive and had little time for personal hygiene back then. Maybe today also in the military. (laughs) I'm not sure. Imagine being part of that committee and trying to teach those soldiers, okay, wash your hands, clean your fork and knives, don't pee where you source your drinking water. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's tough too, though, because like I know those things are important, like hygiene and all that. But when you're like in that kind of environment where your life is on the line or people could like sneak up or like do anything on you at any moment. I really don't think that cleaning your hands or, you know, that is like that important, even though it is important, you know, because disease could spread through the camps, but still they're probably thinking about surviving, surviving, not dying. Yeah. And so all of that helped all of that chaos yeah. probably was helpful to the women too. Like, it's not like they had to do things at a certain time or, yeah, you it's know, like showers at five o'clock. And yeah. They all right? went there, yeah. So they could remain hidden. I read the most common way these women disguised as men were caught was if they got sick or hurt and then needed medical attention. Well, yeah. Cause then they're looking at their bodies. Yeah. So there were some cases though, where even then they weren't discovered. These were the D doctors. The do- <laughs> they became a doctor with all D's. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe like if your ankle was hurt, no one's like checking out the rest of you. But I mean, like men and women's legs look different with the hair pattern too, though. Yeah. So I, but you know, to these D doctors' um, defense. <laughs> You know, they it probably was chaotic. It, it they was... probably didn't even want to know, honestly. Right. I like mean, if you were a doctor and, you know, you were in the in the army or the, this wartime when all this stuff was happening, I bet there was people coming in with their arms chopped off yeah. or like falling off. Finding somebody being a woman probably was not like, oh, just ignore it. Probably. Right. I mean, it wasn't on it wasn't the top problem that yeah, they were dealing with. Yeah, there was with. much like crucial things to do than checking to see if they were a woman or not right did they even think that was possible like did they think that they probably did they weren't like would have thought because women women were working at home yeah right so it wasn't a 
It wasn't top of mind. It wasn't like, okay, so when they come in for their examination, always check do number one that they're things. not a woman, you know, because they, yeah, they probably weren't even thinking about that because, you know, we can't do anything. I read this unbelievable, unbelievable account about an unnamed New Jersey woman. Woo, New Jersey. Yep. Who was so impressive in her military service that she was promoted from corporal to sergeant. And sorry, I'm not familiar with what that means, but it was a it was a promotion by her senior officers just before she gave birth. So she so was pregnant. She was pregnant, and they promoted her. Did and they I'm think like, the guy was really fat? Like, <laughs> hey, you're a good fighter, but kind of fat. But yeah, but okay. Were they drinking a lot of beer? Beer belly? They thought maybe, or maybe she just didn't show much in the baggy clothes, like concealed her well, yeah. belly. Yeah, because I remember you. Obviously, I don't remember, but you told me when you were pregnant with me that people didn't really know you were that pregnant because of how your body is. You're long, and I you didn't show that well. No, I did. So not everyone, like I showed. You could tell I was pregnant, but. Not everyone has the same body type. So maybe her body type was more like yours. And yeah. she just was able to conceal it with the clothes. Yeah. I wonder what happened. Like, hey, guys, like her water broke. Like, oh. Oh, she gave birth. Well, no, like I don't know. <laughs> it didn't, they didn't say, but I'm, I'm imagining. Like, I like, need to. Um, uh, I'll be I'm, back. I'm, I have an important thing I have to do. <laughs> and so. how could she go far being like in labor from where they were physically that nobody well, they, found I out? think they gave labor in conditions that, you know, like I think they were okay with just squatting. It's not yeah. like now where we need an epidural and a clean doctor's office and all this kind of stuff. She probably just went like a mile <laughs> Had her baby. And then I don't know. But imagine walking a mile pregnant, ready to give birth. Yeah, ready to give birth. Yeah, that's hard. All right. So let's get some into some specifics about some of these women soldiers. Okay. Sarah Emma Edmonds, a.k.a. Private Franklin Thompson. How'd they come up with their names? They just picked a name? I don't know. Maybe it was like someone in their family, someone they liked, someone they knew. I don't know. Maybe it was just a name that maybe it's a mashup of different names that they put together. I was going to say, is that her name backwards or something? But I don't think it is. (laughs) I don't think it's her name. Edmonds Thompson. Yeah, no. Yeah. So she fought in the Peninsula campaign as a soldier, spy and courier. Spy. She was that male nurse that I mentioned earlier. So she was a spy courier carrier and then she became a nurse. It seems like such a random placement. Well, the nurse could maybe help out with the spying. Oh, yeah. I think about right. People are hurting and then you press on their pain point. What did you say? Answer this question. No, I don't know. Um, but as soon as the war was done, she threw out her military uniform and resumed life as a woman and got married and had several children before she successfully applied for a military pension in 1884. Successfully? So she she got the pension? She got the pension. Wow. How did that documentation work? Uh, how did she? Franklin Thompson. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even understand how she proved because that it was really her though too, you know? I feel like, I mean, I feel like it, that would have been a hard way to get that benefit, but she did it. I wish that we could, we could find more information. More information. Right? That's a problem. What, with, was, what the documentation was, but I mean, this is 1884. Yeah, that's a problem with older, th- older stories. It's kind of hard to find. Yeah. Well-documented stuff that you know is true, believable, all that. Escaping poverty, a low-wage domestic job, and no prospects of marriage. Sarah Rosetta Wakeman, the oldest of nine siblings, left her family in August of 1862 and became Leon's Wakeman. Oh, she kept the last name. She kept the last name. So she was like, nobody wants to marry me, and I'm the oldest of nine. They're probably pressuring her, and she's like, this sounds like a better road. Maybe I can find my future husband (laughs) in the military. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Hey. No, I'm (laughs) 
She initially worked as a boatman doing manual labor, and then later she enlisted in the 153rd New York Infantry Regiment and received a $152 bounty. That's essentially a sign-on bonus. Wow. Oh, $152. Okay. When I when you said the word bounty, for some reason, my mind turned that into billions. <laughs> okay. $157. $152. But that was a lot of money back then. I, did So New York, New Jersey, were women usually doing this like up north because things were a little bit better politically up there? Are there cases of women doing this in the south? There are. Okay. There, there are plenty of cases. I didn't we'll know if it was easier summer. in the north. Well, maybe it was, but we'll okay. talk about That's that. That's not. It's, yeah. yeah. Two months later, her regiment left for D.C. on October 17th, and then they walked for hundreds and hundreds of miles to Louisiana and fought on the front lines in the Red River campaign there from April 9th until the 23rd in 1864. My gosh. She was hospitalized in New Orleans on May 22nd and later died on June 19th of 1864. But she was quoted as saying, and this was not on her deathbed. This was at the beginning. I don't feel afraid to go into battle. Wow. So she walked all the way from D.C. to Louisiana. And then after that battle, she was she died. She died. It's horrible. Loretta Janetta Velasquez was Confederate fighter and spy Lieutenant Harry Buford. Considered feisty and good looking. <laughs> the, the Harry Buford? They thought, who thought he was good looking? <laughs> Women? Uh, I think this was self-proclaimed. Okay. <laughs> so she said she was a good looking man. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. The lieutenant was engaged in combat and wounded at Manassas or the Battle of Bull Run. Declining medical attention, the injured lieutenant went on to fight at Shiloh. This time, the pain and injury demanded medical care. To the surprise of the examining physician, the lieutenant's secret was uncovered, literally and figuratively. To learn more about this Cuban-born daughter of a wealthy government official and a French-American mother with family ties to Texas, you can read Loretta's 600-page memoir. The Woman in Battle, a narrative of the exploits, adventures, and travels of Madame Loretta Janetta Velasquez, otherwise known as Lieutenant Harry T. Buford, Confederate States Army. Wow. It's very <laughs> So in her memoir, I think she described herself as good looking and feisty. Ooh. <laughs> Man, she was like forward thinking, writing a book about herself back then. I know, right? So as we can see, many women fought at the front lines in the Civil War. We just don't have a very detailed and formal account because this wasn't an officially sanctioned activity. The stories of the women I shared give witness to women's direct participation in the military fighting during the Civil War. There is even an account from a Union burial detail at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, about a shocking discovery of a dead woman's body wearing the uniform of a Confederate private on the battlefield in July of 1863. Yeah, I wonder, like, even if they came home from the war and they were successful, if they even would tell people like their husband or children or anyone that they did that because maybe they thought they would get in trouble. So maybe there's a lot of women that don't we don't even know out of those a thousand. Maybe there's more because they didn't they weren't comfortable with saying anything. Exactly. It was a secret they probably took to their grave. Yeah. Regardless of their role in the war, women were expected 
to return to their domestic lives after the war. Some did, and others lived out the rest of their lives as men. Of those thousand. Despite official acknowledgement of women fighting in the Civil War, our nation, and especially women, were changed forever. Yeah, it caused like a whole movement right after this. It certainly did. So women suffragists like Susan B. Anthony, they circulated the idea and advanced the idea that female frontline service should be granted the same rights as male defenders of the country. So they knew, was like, there was some knowledge that women were fighting, right? Like, you you know, it yeah. wasn't all a secret, but I'm sure that individually women it just wasn't specific about who was doing information. it. Women were no longer limited to just the realm of the home and domestic service. Our newly learned skills and experience birthed a new mindset and outlook for women. And more women were focusing on pushing for equality, not just between races, but between gender as well. And that brings us full circle to the idea that equal rights is a constant struggle that ebbs and flows across time and borders. Well, that was really interesting to learn that about women. I had no idea. I mean, I knew that women like fought, but I didn't know the specifics or anything. So that was pretty interesting. If you enjoyed today's story, please subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate all your support and join us August 4th for another episode. Until then, be social and join the BT Buddies by following us on Instagram at Blood Tide Podcast. Twitter at Blood Tide Stories. Or email at bloodtidepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, women can do anything that men can. Mm-hmm.